Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. So it's been a full season for the Under Pressure Outdoors crew in the Hasmore Outdoor Products Silent Seat. And let me tell you, they're worth every penny. And here are some reasons why. Number one, you can't beat the comfort level. Number two, they don't hold in moisture like rain or sweat. Number three, they completely fold out of the way when you stand up, giving you a full range of motion in your climber. And number four, they cut down on your setup and breakdown times dramatically. Don't just take our word for it. Use offer code UPO15 and get 15% off your silent seat and many other U.S.-made accessories for your climber today. You can find Hasmore Outdoor Products on Facebook and hasmore.net. That's H-A-Z-M-O-R-E dot net. And in the link in this podcast description. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. What's going on, UPO Nation? We hope you guys are having a very Merry Christmas. The crew has taken the week off this week to uh, enjoy a little time with our families throughout this Christmas holiday. So over the next couple weeks, today being Christmas, and then next week on New Year's, you guys are going to get a couple of our favorite episodes replayed. Now, this week, uh, we're going to jump back to Mr. Chuck Pudil. We're going to talk a little coon hunting back to episode 131. Now, don't fret. You've still got time. Uh, to meet us for our Townsend WMA Small Game Camp over New Year's weekend, January 29th through the 1st. Uh, it's going to be one heck of a time, man. We're, we're, we're really going to enjoy it. We're going to be up there late the 29th of January uh, that evening, hunt the 30th, the 31st, and then return home on the 1st. So we're staying in the primitive camping area there, a little bit of duck hunting, a little bit of squirrel hunting, uh, a lot of fellowship and going to be a really good time. So hope we hope to see you guys there. Um, now, here's the secret. We've been teasing a giveaway for the group. <clears throat> so if you're listening on this Christmas podcast, you're going to get a little jump on the competition. So it's going to be a little trivia style. All right, so you're going to have to go back and uh, share with us some of your knowledge of the Under Pressure Outdoors podcast. The first person to answer all three of these questions correctly gets to choose between the tangle-free wood duck decoys, half dozen, or the Garmin GPS, whichever one you would like. The second person gets whatever the first person didn't want. So here are your questions. What happened to the first ever episode of the Under Pressure Outdoors podcast. Who was the first Super Bowl champ on the podcast? How old was my first Florida buck? Those are your three questions. You're going to send those questions to Under Pressure Outdoors in a personal message. Okay. A post is going to show up 
on the Under Pressure Outdoor, Outdoors Nation page on New Year's Week. So you're getting a, a one-week head start if you're listening to this Christmas Day or the day after, sometime in there. So you can go back through. All these answers are contained within one or multiple podcasts that are still live wherever you get your podcast from. Where are you listening to it right now? It's there. So you guys jump back, listen to those, find me my three correct answers, and the first person to answer all three correctly, gets, like I said, gets their choice between the Tango Free Wood Ducks or the GPS, and then the second person gets whatever's left over. All right, I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. Before we jump into that, I'm going to roll our ads. Once those ads are up, hope you guys enjoyed this episode just as much as we did recording it. And uh, we'll catch you guys next week with another rerun. And then uh, back after that, in the beginning of January, you got, we got some sweet episodes coming up. So have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. As we move through life, it's inevitable that we're going to find ourselves needing trusted advice from legal counsel, from business transactions to real estate, lawsuits to contract matters. We all need advice and assistance from time to time. Attorney Roman Hammis' multi-state law practice focuses on litigation, business law, and real estate. Roman helps individuals and business owners find solutions to their legal problems. If push comes to shove, Roman is an experienced litigator with extensive trial experience and the ability to take it all the way. He's been named Super Lawyer every year from 2016 to present, a distinction given to only 5% of practicing lawyers. Most importantly, Roman is an avid hunter, angler, conservationist, and proud supporter of the UPO Nation. When you need dependable legal counsel, call Roman, 407-680-6050 or... 843-324-1727 or email roman at romanvhamis.com that's r-o-m-a-n at r-o-m-a-n v-h-a-m-m-e-s dot com offices Florida and South Carolina The Under Pressure Outdoors podcast is brought to you in part by Hang Free. With a mission to provide top quality products for the best possible price, Hang Free believes that the saddle hunting experience is worth more than money. They create both tried and true products as well as debut new items to the saddle hunting community, creating a community of saddle hunters that don't have to break the bank to participate in a hobby that they love. Do yourself a favor and join the Hang Free family this hunting season. They truly have everything you need. Don't forget to use offer code UPO10 at checkout for 10% off your order at hangfree.co. I was recording, I guess, by the way, but it didn't really matter. Hello? There you go. And just like I predicted, the thunderstorm just killed our internet. <laughs> so we'll do it over the phone. Okay. Uh, it'll, it will make it work one way or another. So as we were just discussing, what, what got you into coon hunting? Um, grew up with a huge interest and desire to hunt, fish, shoot, all that. I got to fish a little bit, but there was nobody in my family that would, uh, that would hunt. So 
joined the army in 87 and, uh, ended up in third range battalion at Fort Benning and was an anomaly in that I didn't drink party and run to bars and all that. So pretty much nothing to do. Um, ended up with a roommate, um, out of North Georgia that was big time bass fisherman. And, uh, we fished from a bank of time or two, bought us a little John boat, started fishing. And then right when I got back from, uh, U S army ranger school, right before operation just caused the Panama invasion, I had a Kansas boy that ended up being star major in Delta force. And he said, Hey, Chuck, we're going to deer hunt. I, I didn't argue with him. So I went out and bought a Browning <laughs> seven mag and first, uh, first day deer hunting five minutes into it, I shot a six point and I was hooked. Um, so that was in 89 and then about middle way through season, we got alerted to go to Panama and that ended that season. Uh, the next year I started hunting on my own and became an avid, avid deer hunter. And then, uh, once I started dating my wife, her dad ran deer dogs in Alabama and, uh, got into that. That was my first taste with hounds and the little hog hunting, a little bird hunting, and then got into the coon hunting. That's, uh, that's interesting. It's, you talked about running, running deer with dogs. And that's one of the things that's just, almost time. synonymous with the south yeah yes yeah they don't do it anywhere else so uh, i mean when i heard of that i was like eh, that's not moral you know yeah. <laughs> growing up in michigan <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've told people i was like yeah i went dog hunting with my buddy they're like why why are you hunting people's dogs <laughs> i'm like no 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 <laughs> we're using dogs to run deer and I, I it really only happens i think uh Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, some in Louisiana, South Carolina, Arkansas. South Carolina, South Carolina, Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas. South Arkansas. Yeah. But North Carolina, and then even all of the states you mentioned, it's I don't know of anywhere around here that you can run dogs anymore. I think it's pretty much South Alabama, South Georgia. It's um, actually either either in Georgia, it's the counties. A lot of the counties border the Florida line, or they're in the far okay. southeast part of of Georgia. Yeah, yeah, which sparsely populated. They still do run a lot in, in South Carolina, though, too. Yep, and they run a lot around us. Um, yeah. We've got a big track of uh, national forest that they run in right street from us. It's like forty thousand acres. Yeah. yeah, but they they break you could, that down. You, into... pay me to get, you couldn't couldn't pay me to get back into that hobby. <laughs> wouldn't help if they did you'd spend all your money on the dogs and, and everything else but of course i'm sure uh coon hunting can be quite the same way yep uh so so how did you get into coon hunting um so are you recording now or i am okay uh so i did the deer hunting um with the dogs a season was Going into my next season, I had left third range of battalion on a green to gold scholarship. So I was poor as dirt living uh, in a crummy powder town in Phoenix City, Alabama. I went to college across the river in uh, Columbus, Columbus State University, uh, working on uh, getting my degree and get my commission. I don't remember why I was walking. There was the Riverview Apartment Projects was close to me. I don't know if my truck was broken down or what. I worked construction back then. was walking and a young kid, African-American kid, about... 10, 11 years old, walked up and said, hey, ain't you the hound dog man? And I had a few hound dogs in my backyard where I was running the deer dogs, a couple running tree and walkers. But I kind of laughed because the, I caught so much crappy and catfish back then. I used to go into the projects and give them the uh, black folks in the projects. And they called me fish man. They saw my little black truck. They'd holler out, hey, fish man, to, you know, see if I had any. 
So I was used to be called fish, man. He called me hound dog, man. I didn't know what to do, <laughs> but, uh, I laughed, said, yeah, I've got some. And he said, can I see him? And we weren't a couple hundred yards from my house. So I said, sure. So him and a group of kids followed me over to the house and, uh, they looked at my hound dogs and we threw a football around a little bit and they left. And then that kid, his name was Irvin. He came back with some boys a few days later and, uh, he kept coming down. I had a litter of puppies, just half breed fox dog, coon dog. And people started stealing them. Irvin to go out and steal them back and bring them back to me. But we, <laughs> we started uh, fishing together. Uh, I started teaching him to shoot, taught him, started out with an air rifle, then moved him up to a 22, did a little squirrel hunting um, with the aim of taking him uh, deer hunting down to the dog camp that I was hunting in South Alabama. And we just became good friends. Uh, got to the end of deer season, and uh, he always called me Charlie. And he said, Charlie, we need to talk. I said, okay, what about? And uh, he said, we need to get into coon hunting. I thought, where the heck does he even know anything about coon hunting? And he had seen the movie where the red fern grows. And I said, well, why would we coon hunt? I hadn't even seen the movie yet. And uh, he said, well, if we had a coon dog, we could hunt all year round, not just during deer season. And I found a $200 blue tick female in the one ads of the newspaper that was worthless, but we bought it. We knew absolutely nothing. We had no coon hunting equipment. Uh, me and Irvin went out to the creeks on Fort Benning, turned that joker loose, and we ran with it. We didn't know what we were doing. And we went everywhere the dog went. And we chased armadillos and fox and possums and what have you. And we did that, tried a couple other uh, dog jockey, you know, low-end dogs out. And I came to the conclusion, I don't know how to coon hunt. Um but the next deer season was coming in. It had come in in Georgia, and uh, I climbed up in a deer stand. I just spent a whole week in the field. I got commissioned, um, was going to the entry officer basic course at Benning, climbed up in a deer stand after being in the field a week, and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, it was black. I mean, just dark. <laughs> and I thought, hmm. I said, well, I may just sit here till morning and then hunt, uh, hunt first light. I was kind of debating myself on that. And all of a sudden, off in the distance, I heard this, oh. Oh, and I said, that gum, I ain't never heard a coyote like that. And I, I was experienced with hound dogs. It just didn't strike me. There was a hound at first. I heard it. I said, that's a hound. As a matter of fact, that sounds like a blue tick. And uh, I thought, I said, that's got to be a coon hunter. So I shimmied down a tree and took off running, jumped in my little Toyota. And I started running a kind of a dirt road along a ridge, listening to the another dog that joined in, squealy mouth female. And I heard him tree. And when I heard him tree, I cut down a little dirt uh tank trail got down in the bottom there sat a white chevy pickup truck with a dog box and uh, i could see lights off in the woods they were going to the um, dogs i heard them shoot out a coon they were heading back to uh their truck and they were going all a little off kilter and i climbed up on the guy's uh, tailgate and i said hey your dogs are over here and or your truck's over here and uh all the lights went out went black went silent and directly i see them Oh, yeah. I thought I was a gang. The funny thing was they were legal, but they thought I was uh, MPs. Oh, and, uh, okay. So Bobby was, mm, Bobby would have been about 46, 47 then. Bobby Phillips. He was the coon hunter. He popped his face out of the bushes and he said, who the hell are you? And I said, my name's Chuck. I heard your dogs. I wanted to see him. And he went to cussing a blue streak, said, uh, we thought you was the MPs. I threw down my rifle, threw down my coon. And I said, well, I'll help you go find them. So we <laughs> went out in the woods. He had his... Uh, had his 12-year-old son, Brad, and uh, some goofball guy that 
uh, got permission to hunt Fort Benning. I never don't remember much about him, but we found it, came out, and he just kind of looked at me odd, like, who's this man out in the middle of the woods by himself at night chasing down me and my dogs? And he said, are you a coon hunter? And I said, uh, kind of. He said, do you have dogs? And I said, I got one. And he said, uh, well, who'd you get it from? And I said, Joe Bellflower. And he said, you ain't got dogs, you got crap eaters. Where did that <laughs> I said, well, that's probably the size of it. And he said, do you want a coon hunt? I said, yeah, I, I want a coon hunt. So he got a little notepad out and said, give me your number. You know, this was 1995, so before the days of cell phone. Right. And uh, I remember going home telling my wife, said, that man's not going to call you. He called a day or two later. And uh, we met up on Victor Drive, went on to Fort Benning, and we hunted. Um, I went to take off with his dogs. He's like, what the hell are you doing? I said, we're going with the dog. He said, you don't go with the dogs. You're staying here and listen. He said, them joggers will kill you trying to keep up with them. He said, they'll be a mile through the woods before you know it. They went, I don't know, maybe five, 600 yards and struck a track and treed. And I, he looked at me kind of strange because you know, being a prior army ranger, I could not stand and not know exactly where I am on the ground at all times. That's that land navigation. So I always carried a map in my pocket, acetated map and, uh, pull out my map and compass and i said well we could just walk these railroad tracks be faster and driving around we got to walking down the railroad tracks and uh bobby went to this is before his church going days he went to cussing a blue streak again i said what's wrong now he said well i keep my 22 shells in a medicine bottle and uh i filled it up laid it on the cabinet or the countertop and i don't have any 22 shells to shoot a coon out i said well that's okay i'll just climb the tree and knock it out he said son you ain't seen the size of trees that coons go up. And I said, yeah, and you ain't seen me climb trees. And, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he kind of laughed kind of like, okay, smart Alec. Well, we got in there and he's an expert. There's a real skill to finding coons in a tree. They don't just sit where you can see them. They're experts at hiding themselves. But Bobby found him and he kind of looked at me like, okay, there's smart Alec. That trees is about as big as a Volkswagen at the base. I looked and there was a tree adjacent to it that grew up into it and uh, kind of walked back. I didn't have waders or, you know, the headlight or none of that. I just had a handheld flashlight. I handed Bobby my light. I said, shine it up in that tree. He said, okay. I jumped straight up in the air and the, the limbs were you know, about big around as your fingers. I grabbed two handfuls and like a monkey hand over hand went up that tree and uh, climbed over the other, went up in the top and knocked the coon out and uh, climbed back down. Bobby said, I've hunted all my life. I ain't never seen that done before. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I used to do tree surgeon work and done a little climbing in my day. And we, I mean, Bobby is the best friend I've ever had in my life. We've been hunting like close to 30 years now. Uh, just left his house a little bit ago, out helping him uh, with a new dog he got. And we're still hunting together. You know, it, it's throughout this story, you, you reminded me of, uh, admittedly, I have never been coon hunting in my life. Um, but if two... you're smart, you won't. <laughs> no if i'm smart i'll find somebody to go with and not get my own dogs uh, there you go um but uh the you you brought up some stuff that reminded me of two of my three biggest inspirations to want to go on a coon hunt and that was one the red fern grows all right yep. and, and having never coon hunted read the book several times read it myself read it to my son watched the movie and then you talked about climbing the tree, and you reminded Jerry. me of the coon hunting monkey Jerry by Jerry Clower. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that was the first thing I thought of when he said he was going to climb the tree. I said, it's like Jerry well, Clower's monkey. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't thinking of the monkey story. I was more thinking of knocking him out, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Clower had more 
jokes and stories about coon hunting than I think he did just about anything else. Yep. Pretty much. And now the third one, though, was a, a fond memory from my childhood. Uh, when when we used to hunt, we hunted in Blakely, Georgia. And I think we left that camp when I was probably 14 years. It's been, man, close to 20 years since we've hunted there. Um, But used to be, we didn't have a TV. We've never been big on watching TV at the hunting camp. There's, but there's always been a radio. And it, there was a radio station that came in on that boombox radio my dad had sitting on top of the camper that every Saturday night they would go coon hunting on the radio. <laughs> and people would call in from all around the state of Georgia. you just hear the dogs and talking about coon hunting for hours and hours on that radio station. And that was one of the, I, I always look forward to staying up on a Saturday night and listening to them run coon hounds on the radio. I do remember I like one thing. That. One thing about it is uh, on that same, when they were going coon hunting, there was at one point where they always played the squirrel went berserk in the Antioch Baptist Church. <laughs> 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 they did fit a little music in there. Yeah. I've, I've hunted Blakely, Georgia. Have you? Yep. Matter of fact, I'm, got a kind of interesting coon hunt story out of Blakely. Oh, let's hear it. Uh, so I don't know. Let me think how I can tell this one. Um, <laughs> Bobby, Bobby you know, had a brother. I, I t- before, I, before I let you start, I'll tell you, in my experience, those are the best stories when somebody has to decide how they're going to tell it in order to, for either for some people to remain anonymous or to, to make sure it all gets out in the, in the proper way. The, yeah, those, the, yeah. <laughs> go ahead so, I apologize. there was a uh, bobby's had an older brother named dana he's passed on I think right before i went to afghanistan dana passed on so it had been 2010 um and he was a card himself he was just hilarious um but we were going to meet his brother and then there was a man named cope that coon hunted in blakely um so me and bobby headed down there bobby had the big blue tick his name was jason absolute best dog I've ever been in the woods with. And I'm a red bone man, but, uh, had Jason and his black, uh, tan female named Cindy. And we pull up at the hunting camp, you know, it was probably a deer camp and whatever else, but you know, coon hunters there too. So he said, go in, tell Dana I'm here. So I knock on the door and said, uh, come on in. And Dana's sitting in a the chair. There's a fellow sitting across named Cope. I shake his hand. And then all of a sudden I got the feeling that I could, it's like I could sense eyes on me. And I turned to my left, and I'm not saying it to be smart. There was an old black gentleman off to my left, and and I mean so dark skinned. He was just real dark, but he was ashy. I mean, that's I teach in a predominantly black school, and that's what the black kids call it when your skin gets kind of flaky and it gets ashy looking. So he almost looked ghost like. And I kind of you know did a double take, and uh, they introduced him to me. I don't remember his name, but they called him Preacher. He's an old preacher, man. So I went over and shook his hand. And within seconds, you could tell he's just a card. He's just, you know, a comical guy. And uh, so we shake hands and talk a little bit. So I ended up went outside, and Bobby was doing something to back the truck. I said, hey, Bobby, I said, don't do any cussing tonight. He said, why not? I said, because there's a preacher hunting with us. And Bobby just grinned a little bit, didn't, uh, didn't say nothing. And directly, the old preacher man came out, and I introduced Bobby to him. And said, you know, this is preacher so-and-so. They shook hands, and... No preacher man said, what kind of, what kind of hound you hunt, Mr. Bobby? And Bobby said, I hunt a blue dog. He said, let me see him. So Bobby opened the 
box, uh, dog box, and uh, outstepped Jason. <laughs> the old black man said, uh, "Well, that MF or tree a coon." I kind of looked. Uh, <laughs> I ain't never heard a preacher talk like that. And uh, we got in the in the truck, was driving on. Bobby said, "You got me. This is rural deep south." He said, uh, "They may call him preacher. It's more of a position he's got in his community." He said. Uh, he probably drinks as much whiskey and raises as much cane as anybody you ever met, but he, he's the preacher man. <laughs> I never, I uh, wasn't expecting him to, I tried to keep it clean, but that's exactly yeah. what he said. <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of my fondest memories of deer hunting come out of Blakely, Georgia. Uh, we, we hunted there. I mean, that was, that was the first place that I ever really re- remember making a memory deer hunting yeah. because my dad hunted there from the time I was maybe five or six years old. It's about my son's age until I was mm, 12 or 13 or so. And, uh, well, at that one specific camp, we hunted there a lot longer than that. Yeah. Cause we went another 400 yards down the road. Yeah. And <laughs> picked moved. up another piece of property. We lost that lease and moved literally about a quarter mile down the road and to the other side of the road and hunted there for two or three years. And it was, it's, but, a lot of really fond memories of that place. I remember being there, like you said, before cell phones were real big and, my, and having to leave our camp and go to the oh, Colomoke Mound State Park. To use the payphone. To use the payphone <laughs> to call home to mom. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then uh, when my dad finally, his work gave him a bag phone. So then we had to stand on top of the toolbox of the truck and he would hold the bag phone up in the air while you talked to home on the bag phone. Yeah. I mean, that was back in the days when we thought we were hot because we had a cordless phone in the house. Yep. I remember that. <laughs> uh, the bag phone. Uh, so when I got commissioned, my first duty station after I left Benning was Fort Bragg and I hunted Bragg hard, hunted a lot by myself, met a few hunters up there, but we were on recall. Um, so when I was on recall, I'd have to have that bag phone and, you know, keep it with me while I coon hunt it. That's interesting. So are you, uh, y'all hunted Georgia a good bit. Are you tracking the politics and the intersection of coon hunting, turkey hunting, and deer hunting, and the bill sitting on the governor's desk? Uh, possibly. Which bill? The You can kill raccoons year-round now. I heard about it, and I fully support it. Yeah, I I support it on the fact that it, it, they do prey heavily on turkey nest, and uh, it it would do a good deal for quail populations and turkey populations. And I know that maybe the the coon hunting kind of takes a back seat to other things, whether it be the healthiest thing to hunt coons year round, um, because I don't, it's not as popular as deer hunting or turkey hunting or. Uh, other, it's not as much of a revenue builder. Right. Yeah. Right. But I, I'm very interested to hear your take on it. So I try to be a critical thinker. I try to, anything I attack or look at, I try to look at it every angle from every person's position, be open-minded. And I've done a little study on this. I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, politicians don't generally solve problems. They just create bigger and newer ones. And then they (laughs) come up with, uh, 
with new rules to say you can't talk about the problem they solved because that violates political correctness. It's just my opinion. Right. Um, it, that's why I it's okay. left you, the Army as a lieutenant colonel, not a colonel. The, um, uh, your opinions are shared uh, probably well far beyond this room uh, to our listening audience. <laughs> yeah. So here's, uh, here's what I see happen. A number of years back, I don't know the exact year, is the deer hunters wanted to be able to hunt over bait corn, which I'm not against. Um, so when they pass that, you've got trough feeders, you got spin feeders, you got all manner of type feeders, and people started artificially feeding deer. Um, as anybody knows, it puts a feeder out for deer. The mask bandits steal 90% of the corn, the deer get the other 10%. So what we've done is we've artificially fattened the coon population. We made them explode. Um, and we feed our deer heavily during deer season before deer season when deer season ends we quit putting the feed to them so now you've got this welfare program for the coon that ends and now they're hungry <laughs> and when they go on the forage the easiest quail eggs turkey eggs and so they're eating that so the quail turkey um and other you know ducks and all that um have been somewhat decimated now one of y'all in the room i don't know who said something about the coon hunters are less populated i did um, yeah. we're, yeah, we're kind of the trailer trash of the hunting crowd. And, I, you know, I say that tongue-in-cheek. but You, we're, you we're said a, it, not me. <laughs> yeah. We're a smaller population, um, and you know, not that many people do it. This is my opinion. Uh, we, we pooped on our own front porch, but we also get lumped in with the deer hunters with dogs. And what I'm saying is there's been some of my brethren that are coon hunters that went on the land that wasn't there. So they cut a fence, they cut a lock on a gate, and they coon hunted somebody else's property, and somebody else got mad about it, and it gave all coon hunters a bad name. The deer hunters that were hunted with dogs were famous for doing it. I remember when I lived in North Carolina, it was kind of a make sure you had something about coon hunting on your dog box, because if they thought you had deer dogs, they'd bust your windshield out. Um, so coon hunters kind of got a bad rap. Well, when the overpopulating of the coons decimated the turkey turkey hunters have money there's politicians that turkey hunt deer hunters i mean there's just a lot more deer hunters they're a bigger vote they've got more ear of you know local congressmen mayors and you know whoever so this new fix it of we're going to fix the problem by allowing you to trap raccoons and, and hunt them year round um that'll fix it and so the, the coon hunters go to pearl clutching and say, oh, my God, they're going to kill all the raccoons. Well, here's my opinion. Most of us that aren't coon hunters would rather be golfing this time of year, fishing or sitting in the air conditioning to a podcast or something like that. We don't want to be out in the palmetto bushes putting live traps out or leg traps or whatever, killing raccoons because it's hard work. There's no money in it. The, the coon hides have literally dropped to nothing because of the PETA crowd. So... In the long run, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of change. Now, here's what I do believe. If you're a coon hunter and you're worth your salt and you can actually write a paragraph, get on the deer hunting web pages, uh, Facebook pages, introduce yourself, uh, let people know you're willing to hunt their land. And if, you know, there'll be some deer hunters out there that then will say, hey, the way to control it is after season, bring in Chuck Fidel and his red bone. We'll let him hunt for a couple months and he'll thin the population. 
I did just that. I netted thousands of acres of land and I don't need it. I've got Fort Benning. I got 200 square miles of Fort Benning. I don't need any land, but I've got extra uh, deer hunt land all over Georgia because I introduced myself and, and sold it. So I believe it's going to be not politicians. I believe the turkey hunters, deer hunters, coon hunters kind of working together can probably fix the, the problem more than any, uh, any bill will. Hopefully I wasn't too uh, long-winded on that, but that's just my take. No, Absolutely. no, it makes sense. I think you're 100% right there. You know, <clears throat> this goes far beyond the, the hunting realm, but it really applies there in the fact that, you know, either united we stand or separate we fall. Uh, they The anti-hunting groups attack hunting from the easiest fronts. <clears throat> and yep. the first place they go is for any kind of hunting that takes place with dogs. Yep, bear right now. Bear, we yeah. see it here in Florida with the with the running deer with dogs, mm-hmm. um, yep. and it happens all over the United States. Well, white-tailed deer is the number one hunted species in the United States, and ninety eight percent of that happens without dogs. It's still hunting or stand hunting, however you want to uh, refer to it as, and I, I think that. And I, we've seen it, Briar and I, especially uh, with how I've seen both sides of the coin. We had a lease in uh, southeast Georgia when I was stationed at Fort Stewart. And we had a dog club on one side of our 900 acres that paid zero respect to us, trespassed on our property all the time, stole stuff from us. It was a constant battle keeping them on their side of the line. And then on the other side of the 900 acres, we had the best club you could ever ask for. And they ran yeah. dogs all the same. Yep. I've seen it both ways. I mean, to the point that when when I moved away from Hinesville, Georgia, back to Florida after I got out of the Army, I talked to their club president. I said, man, I, I don't have a place to stay anymore, but I've got a camper. Can I put it in your camp? He said, absolutely. Yeah. So we hunted a separate piece of property, moved right into their camp, spent every night with them at camp. They made us dinner and breakfast and, you know, they made fun of us because they ate breakfast while we were sitting in the tree stand. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But they were just a great, excellent, an excellent group of people. And I think another thing we see a lot that that a lot of, uh, I would say, still hunters give dog hunters crap for is that they they tell you, well, they shoot anything that comes across the road. Not true. Not at that place. No, they didn't. It it happened, right? Because they had had 10,000 acres they hunted on. Um, their lease was, was ginormous, but they had some, so they had like 20 something members that would come through there Yeah. every night when they'd finish, when they finished the hunt, they'd come back, they'd organize the next day who, who was going to drop dogs first, who was going to be the hunt master, who was dropping dogs second, third, yeah. fourth, how everything was going to yeah. run just a, like a, a who choreographed was, play that, that happened well the next morning. machine there. Yeah. And like then, an operations order. Yeah, oh, they absolutely. Went, they went and drug roads after the hunt and everything so oh, they yeah. could get fresh yep. tracks next day. Yeah. Yep. And then you, you'd you have the the new guy come in. He'd, he'd shoot a spike, and he'd just be tickled pink about it. No, sir. The mm-hmm. club president was not having that. That was against the rules. He told you that. You get a fine. They yep. killed a monster 14-point in they front ki- of dogs. They killed a couple. Of they killed a couple big bucks out of there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Over dogs. Yeah. And but they managed for those bigger deer, 
and they were they were adamant about only shooting the bigger deer, mm-hmm. and it made a big difference in the it area. Did. Now the other club, they they just, shot just the same out in front of them. Yeah, just the same as we had an issue with them. So did the other dog club because yeah, we only took up a very small portion. We had a six hundred acre piece, uh, six hundred and sixty something acres, and in, in one piece and. Uh, a little over 200 in the other that yeah. came out. I want to say just shy of 900 acres across our two pieces of uh, yeah. uh, property we hunted. And the 600 acre piece, we had both clubs on opposite sides of our, of our 600 acre piece. Our 200 acre piece down the street, we only had the one club that was just awesome to us. Yeah. And uh, we actually went to the point where we went out and got the same uh, VHF radios they were running. We got handheld radios so that we could sit in the deer stand and listen to them talk on their radios truck to truck. And when I told their club president, I was like, hey, we can hear you. We're listening to you where you're running dogs. Every time their dogs would turn towards our property, <clears throat> they'd come across the radio and let us know, hey, the dogs are coming your way. Get ready. Yeah. Then they'd always run yep. the property line, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every, every time. When they weren't there, though, they'd run out onto the property. Yeah, if yeah. we weren't there... The deer would run through the property. If we were there sitting in the stand ready, right on the property line. Yep. <laughs> but uh, they were they were big on, you know, uh, giving us a call. Hey, our dogs are, are you know, stuck up in the in the swamp on your 200-acre piece. Can we go get our dogs? Absolutely. It, it got to a point where I told the gentleman, I, I said, look, if we're here, I said, just give us a call and let us know you're coming in so we know you're coming. But if we're not, dude, put a lock on our gate and go get your dogs. You don't have to call me on that. Because he was calling me on the cell phone. I'm down in Florida. Hey, can I go get my dogs? I was like, yeah, man, absolutely you can go get your dogs. Yep. <laughs> so you don't you don't need when, to ask me anymore. When I got into it here, I got in with a group of mostly older men. And they had hunted, you know, since they were young men. And it was the same way. Back in the day, they could pay 50 bucks. It was mead and craft and all those paper mill lands. And they had, you know, 10,000 acres to run on, and some of the land never even got ran. Um, this way they hunted. Well, as time went on, you had the doctors and the lawyers and the rich folks out of Atlanta and Florida, you know, started leasing more and more land. Uh, you know, they could get more for it. And we ended up down to about 500 acres, um, which was not enough. Uh, I'd gotten up a pretty good little pack of dogs, and I will never forget. Um, I was on a, a barbed wire fence, uh, took my dogs and started heading in. They jumped and they turned around and they got past me and they uh, took off across that, you know, barbed wire fence, a big pasture. And uh, I kind of started heading that way. I was going to try to catch them. And directly I heard them barking, just like baying, just barking. And I said, we're not running. And uh, I got to the fence and I looked up and they were tied on a logging chain by a barn. And I saw two men up there. I was like, oh, that's awesome. They caught my dogs for me. I didn't think nothing of it. I jumped the fence. Uh, had a shotgun in my hand, went walking up that hill, was going to thank them. I got about halfway up that hill, and the expletive started, and it's, we're going to shoot you, and blankety blank. And I said, uh-oh. And I was like, well, one, I'm trespassing because I brought the shotgun. And uh, so I kneeled down, uh, laid the shotgun on the ground, uh, held my hands up. I said, I'm coming up here to get my dogs. And uh, they told me in not-so-friendly language, you're not coming to get the dogs. And I said, no, I'm not leaving without them. And uh, so I walked up there. I was still a college student at that time. And uh, one said something about him. I, I knew they weren't going to shoot me, but said, about, I'll shoot him. And I said, he's, the other one said something about getting the law. I said, that's probably the best idea. Why don't you go get the law? 
And uh, so the old man uh, jumped up on a tailgate with his rifle across his lap, and uh, the other one took off. And I hate to say it, I actually thought about it. I said, I could knock that joker upside his head, um, put him to the ground, throw that rifle away, go get my dogs and get going. I'm glad I didn't go with that option. I said, that's probably not the best way to handle this. So I just stood there, and he kind of got not so mad. He looked at me and said, you, you're a lot younger than the bunch over there. And I said, I am. He said, listen to me. He said, when your fun encroaches on somebody else's fun, it's time to get you some new fun. I'll never forget that. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, me and my brother-in-law don't get to hunt very often. He said, we both own businesses. We farm. And he said, we climbed up in our deer stands. He said, we no sooner got there and your blankety blank dogs come running across. He said, you think we're going to see any deer now? And I said, probably not. And, uh, you know, I apologized to him. And uh, that was the last time I ever ran deer dogs um, with that camp. I ended up uh, sold my deer dogs and, you know, I was already thinking about getting into the coon hunting after what Irvin had said. And it kind of ended as if you're going to do it, you got to have a lot of land and you can't be encroaching on other people's. That kind of put a bad taste in my mouth about it. And I just never did it again. I would say that running deer with dogs, um, it, it, if you're a still hunter around dog hunters, it, it doesn't mean you're not going to see deer. Yeah. But what it does do is it makes it very hard to pattern deer. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, so you don't know when or if you're going to see deer. Uh, but yeah. it, it, it's kind of that. That's one of the difficulties we face still hunting around that, that dog hunting club. But even the dog club, the yeah. 10,000 acre dog club, had, they had uh, still hunters, 10 or 12 still hunters that, that didn't run dogs. Yeah. But just still yeah. hunted the place. So now I will say, I'll throw this in um, tooting our horn. There's a lot of people that have a misconception that think, well, if the coon hunters come on, that's going to mess up uh, the deer and the, the patterns and all that. I can't tell you how many times when I'm going to my dogs that I walk by bedded deer that don't even get up, that are within 100, 200 yards of my dog tree in and pay it no attention. But my dogs stay on the creeks, the swamps. There's one of the, I hate to talk out of my I think it was the University of South Carolina did a peer-reviewed study on that topic and showed that running coon hounds at night has no negative effect on the deer hunting. Now, I can understand a deer club saying we don't want coon hunters coming in during season, but I'll tell you, when the season's over, it's smart to let the coon hunters come in, especially if you still got corn in them feeders. And, I mean, in a night, I mean, it ain't, it ain't nothing to, you know, get 10, 15 coons. I've seen them um, hanging from the feeder good. motor and just spinning the thing to get the corn out of it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, tree them right next to the feeder. It's yep. <laughs> the reason, the reason deer run when they run them with deer dogs is because they're being chased. Yeah. Yes. That's it. Yeah. I say it better deer aren't stupid either. They're, you know, they know if they lay there and stay still that they're less likely to be seen mm-hmm. if yes. you're not looking for them. Yep. I would say oh, it's, yeah. it's it's just purely a misconception. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I don't know. It, it's something we have to work on as a community. We've got to work together because you, you get people don't want coming out. People quail hunting, any kind of dog whatsoever on their property in the summertime. They don't want it there. Yep. yep. Like, well, I'm not, I'm not running deer on your property. In fact, you're probably doing more damage by running your side-by-side or four-wheeler or whatever around all summer. Yeah doing what you're doing and me hauling around up there. Then, then somebody who's going to come in at night and run coons is going to do. Yeah. 
And that also comes with the... Go ahead. Go ahead. For... And I've done a lot of deer hunting too. Uh, matter of fact, you know, I got out when after 9-11, when the deployment started stacking up, I completely got out of coon hunting and stayed out of it for a long time. Only got back in about three years ago. Um, with deer hunting, I don't, I don't really, I got nothing against hunting over corn. I would rather go in in the springtime and put in feed plots 100 to 1 and then, you know, my fall feed plots then put corn out. Well, I think I, I think corn hunting over corn is a is a very uh, misconceived thing as well because I can I, I can count on one hand the number of times I've watched a deer come in and feed out of a feeder in front yeah. of me. They don't. They eat out of a feeder in the dark. Yep, they're not colonel. Uh, they're they're smarter than that. Yep. I mean, they may they may have done that <clears throat> right off the bat at one time before it was legal or right when it became legal, but they don't do that anymore. Yep. Um, yeah, and, they learn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's generational. You know, does that have been shot at teach young and so on and so forth until that doesn't happen anymore. And the, the deer that I have seen come out and eat at a feeder, um, they, they've been tiny deer. They, you know, deer the, the of the year, uh, less than a year yeah. old or so. Yearlings. Either that or if they come out to the feeder, they'll feed a little bit and look up, look around, head down, look up, look around. They stay extremely vigilant. Yeah. I have shot deer near a feeder, but they were feeding in the food plot, not feeding at the feeder. Yep. Yeah. I, I think the yeah, food, food plots food are, plots, I think are the way to go. They're far more effective. And, you know, we've actually found over the last couple of years, we took and put trough feeders out with protein in them that we didn't hunt over. We put them where you couldn't see them from a deer stand and they're just there strictly for the deer to eat out of. And the deer visit those feeders in the daylight and eat out of them. It's a completely different topic, but we even, so we've got the, uh, a different dilemma. Uh, we put feeders out too, um, for coons and, uh, there's. Y'all just leave just like a like garbage the, can open somewhere. Well, um, <laughs> just, just like the Northern deer hunters and the Southern deer hunters were different. I mean, hunting deer in Michigan versus, south georgia is a completely different way of hunting oh absolutely um, and if you've traveled around the u.s much and hunted different you know it's different people hunt different ways and you have to hunt because the train is different i hunted a completely different way in uh northwest arkansas in the ozarks than i did you know fort benning georgia but coon hunting is the same way if you want to train a coon dog puppy in ohio uh, where you have, you know, North Ohio with the cornfields in between cornfields, you got little strips of woods and each strip of wood has, uh, you know, a quarter million raccoons that live in that little strip of woods because they, they're 40 pounds a piece and they feed on corn. You don't need, uh, a, an old dog to train the young dog with. You can just, there's just raccoon everywhere. Right down here where we're at, I'm hunting for Benny. There is no peanut fields soybean corn nothing it's pine woods and little creeks and the coons are 15 pounds and they'll run like a stripe at eight um and you may have to have a dog to go a thousand yards to get one so a, a feeder um i can take a five gallon bucket uh put a pvc nipple in the bottom of it make a l-shaped two by six hanger put it four feet in there so the hogs can't get it keep it filled or i can take an old car tire put it there's different ways but if you hunt those You'll get dogs that are just short range. They're, they're, they become dependent on the feeder. 
So my feeders aren't so much to hunt my dogs off of. They're to give me a better coon population. And I keep them full during the spring um, when the females have kits. If I want to hunt them, I don't pull up and turn a dog loose on it. I'll back off four or 500 yards, send the dog down that creek. And if he hasn't struck by the time he got there, you know, he's still going, then he may strike off the feeder. Um, and there's different ways to make them, but it's the same thing. It's, it's figuring out what works, you know, kind of the biology of it, just like you do with your protein and your, in your trough feeders. Now I, I'm going to warn you before I ask you this question, this one is, this one's very loaded and okay. you're, you're probably going to make some people upset, <laughs> but what is the best breed of dog for hunting coons? Okay. It's funny you say that because most, there's another, you know, the absolute best breed of dog for tree and coons is walkers. And the reason I say that is because open up the, any PKC book, open up, you can see who's winning. The winningest dogs are walkers, but they're also the most prevalent. There's, you know, for every red bone, there's a hundred walkers out there. Now, when you say best, cause I have no, I mean, I like all breeds. And I've hunted all. I'm a red bone man. That's what I'm raising and training. I'm, you know, my the whole betterment of the breed. Um, I've hunted good in every. Here's what happened to my breed. Number one, the red fern grows. So kids watch the movie where the red fern grows, and he says, I want a red bone. And he lives in a subdivision, ain't never hunted in his life, and never will. So that but allowed I, the red bone. Go I ahead. can guarantee you if he lives in a subdivision, he's got coons to hunt. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, so back in the day, um, it's like any movie comes out. You know, you get new Disney 101 Dalmatians or something. Every kid wants a Dalmatian. You get crappy breeding. And, you know, so or it's the bench show people. The bench show people, um, they breed specifically for a look. They don't care how the dog hunts and they breed the hunt out. So you got that small group of people like me that are breeding track power, tree power, accuracy, drive, stick a tree, you know. Good field variety dogs. Yeah. Yeah. But walkers are the winningest overall, but they're nope. not black and tan, blue tick, plot. I mean, I've seen every one. I've hunted good English. I've hunted good all of them. No, Nobody really wants a walker dog that ain't hunting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. so that's, I think one good thing that you just said is – so I call her Susie subdivision. She's the ruin of, of many a breed. Yeah. Um, Labs. Are they included. generally, yeah, they generally, yeah, there you go. They generally aren't as interested in showing a Walker dog. So the yeah. walkers don't get bred specifically for show as much. Um, mm -hmm. Personally, if I ran UKC and I never will, you wouldn't get to show a dog unless you've already made a night champion out of it. Yeah. In the woods coon hunt, then you could show one that would get rid of the, the nonsense but yeah there's always that <coughs> what breeds best um i tell you what i've had best dog ever been to wood with, with an old uh, a blue tick he was young when i started hunting um but i've been good black and tans good everything no i tell you i have a blue tick <clears throat> i have a blue tick hound um and uh he is uh, a big baby he's worthless yep. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know because it's thundering outside right now in the storm he is inside shaking like he's trying to crap a peach pit <laughs> uh now do y'all uh this is something i got into a little bit back when i ran deer dogs do y'all have any dogs that blood track uh wounded deer oh yeah yeah well i mean uh hunters yes does 
uh, Jordan Jordan's dog um, Will. She's not. I haven't specifically trained her to do it. Not. I try to work her a little bit on it every year to get her in better and better. But yeah, I'll let her track mine. But I'm not going to solicit her to other people. She's uh, she is, she's yet to track a deer that we couldn't have found without her. Yeah, yeah. But she she does a good job finding deer that we could otherwise find. I mean, I, I shot one last year um that uh ray charles probably could attract yeah. <laughs> uh, but she found it <laughs> yeah. yeah those are some people using the, the like the black mouth curs and different dogs those dogs are worth their weight in gold mm-hmm. um, especially yeah. the bow hunters yeah. oh absolutely um, oh absolutely yeah I, I i would say that 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 alone having those dogs that track wounded deer is becoming extremely popular. You see Facebook groups yeah. all over. Every state's got one. Yeah. We have a, we have a Florida blood trailing network yeah. and if they have yeah. like a list of guys in each County. And if you, if you shoot a deer and you can't find it, then you just go to that list and call somebody and yep. they'll come out for it. I met a preacher that does it, uh, out in Missouri. Um, and he makes a fair amount of money doing it. You know, I, I, I haven't, what do you, what do you think you pay somebody like that? Because I've never seen advertised prices. So on the I know on the group they say that like you can't you're not supposed to ask somebody for necessarily money, but you show up expecting a tip. Yeah, right. So I guess that here would be the question: You shot what you know is the biggest rack you've ever seen, or you know you've ever shot. He's you know he's one fifty class. He's one set. Whatever's big to you. Being over one twenty is big for me. Um, and, and you tried tracking it, you shot him with your bow and it's kind of petered out and you like, you know what? I don't want to lose it. I'm calling him. What would it be worth to you? No, oh, it's definitely worth a hundred dollar bill to oh, me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, sure. I absolutely get a hundred bucks. I, I've been, especially with the price of gas and them coming to you nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, seriously, I don't know that I've, I've had one. The only, I've never at, up to day, up till today, but knock, knock on, on that wood. table. Yeah. I've never shot a buck that I've needed, uh, that I thought I would have needed a dog for. Um, but I do. I, I haven't either. Say again. I haven't either. I shot a doe one time <laughs> that I knew I made a great hit on her. Uh, she wasn't but 40 yards and I shot her with a 12 gauge rifled slug barrel. And, I was on my hands and knees following blood the size of a pinhead in the dark. When I found that deer, I stood up and didn't know where I was. So that was that was interesting. I found my way back yep. out. Yeah. But that would have been the instance where I'd want to call a dog. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I've had instances where I have searched and searched and searched and searched and eventually found it, and it probably would have happened a lot faster had I called somebody with a dog. We talk about Mike's buck. Yeah. Yeah, well, shoot. Well, he shot it. It was facing him, facing directly at him. So he shot it like dead center chest. And it just didn't bleed at all. And we walked and walked and walked and walked and walked. And I, we looked for three hours, never could find it. And I told him, I said, well, it had like five or six does with it. I said, I've seen those does run through here. I'm going to go walk over here. And it was laid up in a... We had just had a hurricane uh, that had hit South Georgia. So it was a bunch of pine trees laid down. And it was laid up inside a stack of pine trees. I believe it. He just never bled anywhere. I, we just kind of 
crisscross pattern the area until we found it. I've had I shot a doe with a bow in uh, New York um, when I was teaching at West Point and went in, uh, went back to the house, ate breakfast, gave it a good while, went up, started tracking, and pretty sure you could see it zigzagging, just blood everywhere. I was like, well, you're not going to take long. And then it just started straightening out, and then less blood, and then less blood, and then hour after, and then like you said, the little pin drop. Um, I lost it. Um, ended up picked the trail back up, tracked another couple hours, and then it just went away. And then I don't know, maybe a month later, that deer had circled all the way back, came back to my deer stand within thirty yards of my deer stand, curled up in some bushes and died. Jeez. Now that doe that I shot with the with the twelve gauge, that was the last time I shot. Uh, Remington three inch magnums, Sabo slugs, yep. because that bullet went in right behind her shoulder, came out the other side perfect, and never expanded. I had a 308 do that once in Arkansas, um, but it went between two sets of ribs on one side, between two sets of ribs, hit no bone, like a laser beam going through. That's exactly um, what that 12 gauge did. And I couldn't uh, shoot a lever action Browning 308. And uh, my uncle had used it, had fell. And I was like, did he knock the scope off? And then I missed it. I was like, there's no way I missed it. I didn't shoot it maybe at 40, 50 yards from the standing. And uh, hunting in snow, where you're going to see blood. Right. And uh, yeah. so I you know, found a knot on a tree, shot. And I was like, nope, it's hitting. And so I ended up just walking up a side of a mountain. All of a sudden, pin drop of blood and then blood everywhere. I was like, how the heck did that happen? Well, you know, used my tractor, hung it up, skinned it. And I was like, ah, I see. I hit it high went uh you know like a laser beam through and it took a while for that blood to start filling up in the lungs before it ever started and then start you know, finally started pouring out yeah yeah yep. that uh i switched from those those remingtons to this federal have have not been able to find them since but it was a federal two and three quarter inch solid copper slug uh that was such a hollow point that you could blow across the top of that shell and make it whistle yep i've seen those before <laughs> And like that right there. It's like shooting them with a dang shot glass. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> when I shot deer with that thing, they did the first deer I shot with it, uh, I shot a doe and she turned and ran. And when she turned, I saw her other side, there was a chunk of lung hanging out. I said, Oh, she's done. Yep. <laughs> um, but it's, I, I don't know that I've ever, there, there's been some times, and I know eventually if I continue hunting, I will eventually need a dog. It's going to happen. Yeah. It, it's not something you plan for. Uh, but it's nice to have that uh, an ace in your back pocket. A completely different topic. Uh, are do you are you noticing folks down there getting more into the squirrel hunting with the feist and the curse? You know, we know we've got people. a lot of people in squirrel hunting, but I don't think I've ever seen anybody bring a dog besides Jordan. But she yeah. just wanders around the woods while we hunt. She picks up a lot of the coon up. hunters um, that I know of, or a fair amount, are getting out of coon hunting and they're getting into the squirrel hunting. I don't know, maybe maybe that far south it's not as big a thing but where i was in arkansas missouri uh even around here um the little tree and feists and the black mouth curs brindle curs uh the squirrel hunting and the comp the competitive side of it is getting pretty big huh. and it is a blast yeah i just use mine she, she just kind of wanders around and every now and then she'll uh like you know if one gets on the back side of a tree i could send her around the back side and it'll run her back around the front yep. side and then when it hits the ground, she'll pick it up and bring it to us. But she's not going out and like tracking down squirrels and and treeing them and letting us know where they're at. And so she's mainly a duck dog. Yeah, she's a Boykin spaniel. Okay, yeah, I've, uh, I got a fella here that duck hunts that's got a Boykin. Yeah, 
She, so, I try to turn her into a pretty much a little bit of everything dog though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's getting big. I don't, didn't know if that was getting big down. That's why I asked about you know, anybody tracking with uh, the cur dogs. You know, um, we, we actually hunt with a couple guys that are, that run dogs and they work through NAVDA. Uh, okay. The, the national versatile hunting dog association. And they, they've got quite a thing. And you know, these guys are running ducks with, uh, Fischlas and Fischlas and yeah, all German kinds of stuff. hairs and um and, and they're just they're just supposed to be they are a versatile hunting dog. It's not just like a lab where a lab is typically a a, a duck dog. Uh, although yeah. we have a guy who uses his lab and he trails deer. So <laughs> you know, I mean, but uh, so have you ever done a coon hunting competition? Oh yeah. So tell me about yeah, that. I've done how that how so, how does that work? Okay, so you got two kinds. Well, I'll say, well, basically two guys. You got UKC, United Kennel Club, um, and you're basically hunting for points uh, to make a dog night champion and then grand night champion. And then there's your big hunts, the Winter Classic, the Autumn Oaks. You know, it, not only do you put points on the dog, but when you put the titles on the dog, that makes more people want to breed to your dog. That makes your puppies worth more and all of that. Then you got PKC, which is the pro hunting. There's no bench show. There's nothing. It's money hunts. You pay to enter the hunt, and if you win your cast, you walk away with money. So to win a cast, um, generally you'll have a hunting judge on a smaller hunt. If it's a real big hunt, the judge will hunt. But so you'll have a four dog cast. So you'll have you'll meet up at a hunting camp. Uh, you'll break off into your four dog cast, and they'll go somewhere to hunt. Um, you'll go to a creek, a side of a swamp, somewhere like that. You'll get your dogs out, put your tracking collars on them. You know, everything's GPS now. Um, the judge will tell you, uh, you know, you handle your dog, you hold them by the collar, and they'll say, go. You turn your dog loose, and they take off like rockets through the woods. You're listening, and you have to know the the mouth of your dog. So my old ranger dog's got kind of a deep old, if I hear ranger open up, I say, strike ranger. That's 100 points. Now, he's got so much time, if he doesn't bark again, he gets minus for babbling and that he wasn't actually working a track. So if you strike him, I think it's two minutes. He's got to bark again within two minutes. Once he starts working that track, if somebody else says strike blue, you know, he gets 80 points. You're waiting. And, you know, so most of these dogs have a ball mouth on track. Oh, oh, and they're working that track. And coons are smart. They're, you know, like a deer that's being run. They learn how to duck and dodge. Um, they'll cross creeks, they'll jump, climb up trees, jump out. They'll just do all sorts of tricks. When that dog or when that coon finally goes up a tree, most of these dogs have a locate. They'll drop it down an octave. So, so they're trailing all, oh, oh, and you hear, oh, that's a locate. So that's when you're getting ready to treat. Most of these dogs will break over to a chop. Um, I've seen walker dogs hit 120 barks a minute where once they go up on that tree, they're, ow, 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 ow. Um, you know, some not as, as hard when you he 